Hello and welcome to episode 157 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Emma Thompson, Paige, Jen Boyack, Alison F, Edna Keeney, Cara Kathleen, Julian Poydevin, Paul, Estelle Miller, Sarah and Marty, Sabrina the Witch, Nadine Mabayad, Paige Eric, Alan McAnini, Joe Suau, Margaret Craig, Melanie, Amy Hatcher, Elvie, Nessa, and Angelo Moreno. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and I appreciate you every single day. And our film review this week. Our film review is Colour Out of Space. Colour Out of Space was released in 2019. It has 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. After a meteorite lands in the front yard of their farm, Nathan Gardner and his family find themselves battling a mutant extraterrestrial organism that infects their minds and bodies, transforming their quiet rural life into a technicolour nightmare. So this movie is based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, and I don't know a huge amount about Lovecraft, but I know that a lot of Lovecraftian horror is kind of out there, very monster-based, and at times can be pretty wild, so I had really high expectations for this film. I also want to preface this as well by saying that I don't know very much about Nicolas Cage as an actor. I know that he's a very memeable actor and that people take the piss out of him a lot online, but I actually realised when I started watching this, I haven't seen him in very many things at all, or even if anything. So those are my two caveats before we get into this monstrosity of a film. Let's start with the things that I liked. First of all, the opening of this film is absolutely stunning. It opens with this beautiful monologue about living in the wilderness, which I can only imagine is from the Lovecraft short story itself, or at least adapted from it. You have beautiful scenery of the wilderness, you have this gorgeous monologue, and then you cut straight to the daughter of the family, the teenage daughter, who is conducting a spell on the side of a river. And it's beautiful. Like, and you think, oh, okay, we've got some interesting witchcraft stuff going on. It's not over-exaggerated and ridiculous. And she is casting a spell to protect her mother from cancer, which you immediately think, oh, that's really sad. And I liked it. Like, you know, it wasn't portraying witchcraft as like the source of all the problems or anything like that. And I was like, oh, this film, this film shows promise. At the end of the film as well, there is a beautiful monologue that I loved, that I thought was very well done. It was very poetic. Everything that happened in between, on the other hand, was pretty fucking dire. But before we get to that, back to our likes. I liked the opening. I liked the witchcraft. I liked the ending. I liked the premise that this Technicolor meteorite crash lands on their land and then it fucking ruins their life you know all these awful things start happening to them and I like an alien invasion movie contrary to my fear of aliens like I like films like Independence Day I like films like Evolution and I thought that this movie was going to be like a grown-up version of Evolution and there were genuine moments in the film that were funny and relatable Like there's a moment where Nicolas Cage's character sees himself on television after the meteor has crash landed. He's interviewed for TV and he is 
absolutely livid with the way that he looks on TV and he is like, oh, for fuck's sake, why did nobody tell me to brush my hair? And it's, you know, it's genuinely touching. It's funny. But apart from those funny moments, like the film, I don't know. Like I said, okay, we're going into the dislikes portion. I don't know very much about Nicolas Cage as an actor. And I don't know if his performance in this was meant to be slightly satirical. But he portrays a man who is descending into madness because of this alien life form. It's like taking over his body and it's going to drive him mad. But Nicolas Cage's madness was like satirical Donald Trump. Like honestly, it could it, it could have been Nicolas Cage on Saturday Night Live pretending to be Donald Trump. And you know when people do impressions of famous people or impressions of anybody, they take like hand movements, gestures, the way that they speak and they exaggerate it loads in order to really portray who it is that they're doing an impression of, right? I'm not trying to be condescending by explaining how to do an impression. But that's what Nicolas Cage was like. It was like somebody said to him, I want you to pretend to be Donald Trump, but turn it up to 11. And then once you've gotten to 11, keep going until it becomes farcical. Because that was that was how he behaved when he was going mad. I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, is, the, is this a satire? Am I just not getting the joke here? And I know there will be people out there listening who are going to be more up to date with the lore on Nicolas Cage. Is this his acting? Is this actually his acting? Because he had a great opportunity to portray a character who is descending into madness, which is, I mean, that's every actor's dream because you can have so much fun with it. And and his his was his was bizarre. Like I was watching with my mouth open, honestly. And not because of all the weird alien shit that was happening. It was because of Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage was the weird alien shit that was happening in this film because his performance was so alien to the rest of the film. I didn't know what was going on. And before I watched it, I saw a commentary from some viewers who were saying, oh, thank God, finally, directors are starting to understand Nicolas Cage and put him in roles that are really suited to him. And after watching it, I thought, that's the role that suited him? What are his other films like? So yeah, Nicolas Cage was not good in this. And uh, it really, <laughs> it really impacted the movie as a whole for me. And then the rest of the movie was just a bit meh. After the alien meteorite had crashed onto their land, everything starts going horribly wrong. And it goes horribly wrong very quickly. But the problem is, is that all these disconnected things happen, but you don't really see them happen as the audience. So they don't really make sense. So, for example, at one point, one of the siblings is outside and he comes back in and he says, oh, when I went outside, it was morning and then suddenly it was nighttime. And obviously they're trying to, to point to the fact that the family are all losing time. But it's so badly addressed in the film that it kind of becomes questionable. It's too ambiguous. They they haven't fleshed out the fact that they're losing time. And then they're talking about losing time, but you don't see it happen. Or you don't see any really good references to it. So it, it got very confused at points where I was thinking, well, what's actually going on here? There's a lot of gore as well. This is essentially a body horror. So there are some really awful gory things that happen in this movie. If you're into that kind of thing, if if you're okay with gore, you'll be fine. They weren't over the top. But there were a couple of bits that most definitely gave me the ick. There's this whole weird llama storyline that just got more and more ridiculous as time went on. 
There's this other really odd storyline with a hydrologist who is suddenly expected by everybody, including the local police force, to be able to solve mysteries of why animals are being mutilated horrifically. Why would a hydrologist be able to understand that mystery? I just don't know. Why would he be the one to investigate? I mean, there's a strong possibility that I just didn't understand the beauty of this film. It was visually very appealing. You have this beautiful technicolor world where all these flowers are growing that are all multicolored and you have all of these gorgeous animals and then the juxtaposition of that with the carnage that it's causing was really striking. But then everything else around it was just so utterly shit. And I think if this film was in somebody else's hands, it probably could have actually been a really good film. But maybe I'm just not getting it, you know? I mean, it got 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know how. Were all of those reviewers just Nicolas Cage in different disguises? Nicolas Cage in a hat. Nicolas Cage in a moustache. Writing reviews about how good Nicolas Cage is in this film. I don't know. I wasn't into it. It's two stars from me. Two out of five. I'd watch it for the roller coaster that it is. It's entertaining. But are you going to come away and be like, wow, that was a great sci-fi horror body horror film that I really took something away from no you're not I would recommend watching it as well just for Nicolas Cage's bizarre performance which brings us to our story this week our story this week is not about Nicolas Cage it is not about giant llama monsters but it is very freaky so let's get into it there is something that is truly magical about art Art can elicit responses from people in the most curious of ways. Now, it's important to note that I am not an art aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. I like some paintings and I dislike others. I get some pieces of art and others I just don't understand. And if you're like me and you don't really get art, you'll definitely be able to appreciate some pieces and you'll have some pieces that you think are nice or moving or just well executed. There are art pieces that can make you feel happiness, sadness, joy, disgust, discomfort, or even confusion. Paintings are a means of expression for the artist. They use their art to demonstrate their own feelings, or maybe to capture a moment in time, or even just a thought or an idea. But whatever is depicted, the artist puts time, passion, and feeling into their work. In the last few weeks, stone tape theory has come up time and time again on the podcast. The stone tape theory is the speculation that ghosts and hauntings are similar to tape recordings, and that mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy, recorded onto rocks and other items, and replayed under certain conditions. So if this is the case... Could the same be said for paintings? Could paintings hold on to the trauma and emotion of their creators and release them when the conditions are right? In episode 18, we talked about the crying boy paintings which were incredibly popular in the 80s and 90s and were also very hard to burn. But the painting that interested me more was that of the anguished man, an objectively disturbing painting allegedly painted by a man who was in extreme mental turmoil, who went on to take his own life. The painting carried with it an energy that was released onto the owner. 
Is it possible that the pain and distress of the painter had somehow left a psychic stain on the painting, which was having real-world consequences for those that looked upon it? The Anguished Man is not the only painting that is said to carry pain and misfortune in its very fibres. There are others. Of course, I will post pictures of the paintings that we talk about today on various social media channels. But be warned, even looking at these paintings is said to have negative consequences. So look at them at your own risk. When the phone rang and she saw his name flash up, she was pleasantly surprised. Nora hadn't heard from Jeff in quite a while and she had idly wondered if he was licking his wounds. Jeff was an art picker, which meant that he spent his time sourcing art that was for sale at way below its market value or art that had found its way into a vacant lot or a house clearance. He would then call his clients and let them know he had found a piece for them. This hadn't gone well for Nora and her husband John the last time. Jeff had gotten them an art piece. A real doozy, he said. It would be the jewel in their crown, he said. It was not. It was a cheap replica that was worth virtually nothing. But fundamentally, Nora trusted Jeff. He had a good eye and he did it because he loved art and he loved finding forgotten art a good home. Nora, I've got something for you. You won't believe it. It's a beauty. It was the strangest thing. I found it at an old abandoned brewery. Can you believe it? No, 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 don't ask why I was there. That's not important. What's important is that I think this picture is perfect for you. I'll bring it around as soon as I can. Trust me, you are going to love it. Can you believe it? In a brewery. I don't know why anyone would have discarded it like that. When Nora and John saw it, they were suitably impressed. Nora in particular. Jeff seemed to have redeemed himself for sure. The picture was strangely beautiful. It depicted a little boy with a solemn expression on his face, looking directly at the viewer. The picture was dark and muted, with the only real striking colour being the pale blue shirt that the little boy was wearing. Next to him was what appeared to be a little girl at first glance, but on closer inspection, it was actually some sort of doll with black hollow eyes, a ventriloquist mouth that turned downwards and hinged elbows. In her hand was a canister of some sort, but it was what was behind them that made the picture truly eerie. The two were standing in front of a glass-panelled door that was dark, and from the darkness emerged numerous small hands that seemed to be on the other side of the glass. They were emerging from the shadows, beckoning at the boy, reaching for him from the darkness. There was no way of knowing or understanding where the hands were coming from, or who they were attached to, or what would happen to the little boy if he stepped through the door and into the darkness beyond. They decided to hang the picture in the hallway outside of their daughter's room, until they got the picture valued and figured out what to do with it. They were pleased with the find and thanked Jeff for his hard work and Jeff walked away breathing a sigh of relief and feeling thoroughly relieved that he had redeemed himself. The next morning at breakfast, Nora and John were having breakfast with their daughter when she looked up and said, I don't like the new picture outside my room. 
John and Nora weren't particularly bothered by this and told her that it was okay, it was just a picture and there was nothing to be frightened of. I'm not frightened of them. They're just annoying. They kept me awake last night. John was more alert now and asked her who they was. What did she mean? The little boy in the doll. He doesn't like the doll and I could hear them fighting last night outside my room. And then when I tried to go to sleep, the doll wouldn't let me. I heard it come into my room. And then when I told it it had to leave, it stood in my room watching me. I don't like it at all. Now, Nora wasn't remotely phased by any of this and put it down to the rampant imagination of their daughter. But John was not so sure. He thought there was something off about the painting. Something that just wasn't quite right and something about the way his daughter was speaking didn't seem to be indicative of magical thinking or an imagination running away with her. Her earnestness was ringing through and she seemed to be genuinely annoyed and frustrated by what had allegedly happened in the night. When he expressed his concerns to Nora, she looked at him as though he had lost his mind. John, I don't know what you're implying, but I feel like next you'll be telling me that Elvis isn't dead. But if it makes you feel better, then you do what you need to do. What John decided to do was to set up night vision motion-triggered cameras to see if he could catch anything. It took three nights, and what John saw shocked him so much that he decided he needed to get rid of the painting as soon as possible. It had become abundantly clear why the picture had been abandoned. The picture was evil. After night three, their daughter awoke again complaining about the picture. They were fighting again and they kept me awake. The boy kept telling the doll that he did not want to do it. And then when I opened my eyes, the boy was in my bedroom and he was really sad. John sat down to see if there had been any pictures taken. There had. There were two pictures that had been triggered by the motion sensor. In one picture, the doll no longer looked like an innocent bystander. She looked evil like her face had been transformed into some sort of demonic skull and the canister in her hand suddenly seemed to resemble a gun. The painting had to go. So I have added a bit of poetic license, but the bones of the eBay advert are here. The Hands Resist Him appeared on eBay in the year 2000 and it became a viral sensation. The advert on eBay read as follows. When we received this painting, we thought it was really good art. A picker had found it, abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered a little why seemingly a perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. Today, we don't. One morning, our four-and-a-half-year-old daughter claimed that the children in the picture were fighting and coming into the bedroom during the night. Now, I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my husband was alarmed. To my amusement, he set up a motion-triggered camera for the nights. After three nights, there were pictures. The last two pictures shown are from the stakeout. After seeing the boys seemingly exiting the painting under threat, we decided the painting had to go. Please judge for yourself. Before you do, please read the following warning and disclaimer. Warning. Do not bid on this painting if you are susceptible to stress-related disease, faint of heart, or are unfamiliar with supernatural events. 
By bidding on this painting, you agree to release the owners of all liability in relation to the sale or any events happening after the sale that might be contributed to this painting. This painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that could impact or change your life. However, by bidding, you agree to exclusively bid on the value of the artwork with disregard to the last two photos featured in this auction and hold the owners harmless in regard to them and their impact expressed or implied. Now that we got that out of the way, one question to you, eBayers. We want our house to be blessed after the painting is gone. Does anybody know who is qualified to do that? The ad was accompanied by pictures that, like I said, will be posted on social media. And if you don't have social media, it'll be the thumbnail of this episode so everyone can see it. But where did this picture come from? It wasn't created in a void, and it existed before Jeff found it in an abandoned brewery. Was the artist in the grips of some wild turmoil? Was it found in some place of darkness and evil? Well, no. In 1972, artist Bill Stoneham was living in California and was contractually obliged to create two art pieces per month in order for them to be displayed and sold by gallery owner Charles Feingarten. The Hands Resist Him was one of those pictures. Stoneham created the painting based on an old picture of himself when he was five years old. The glass door was painted to represent the doorway between the real world and the artist's dream world, and the doll was meant to represent a guide to lead him through the doorway into a fantasy world. The hands are a little less straightforward. Stoneham himself stated, The hands were all of the possibilities. You were left with the question, Are these disembodied hands? Are they dismembered, floating there in space? Or are they connected to bodies? He called it The Hands Resist Him, inspired by a poem written by his wife. The painting was displayed at the gallery in Beverly Hills, where it was noticed by art critic Henry Seldes. Seldes wrote about the piece in the LA Times. From this, the piece was purchased by the actor John Marley, who played the role of Jack Waltz in The Godfather. Within one year, Seldes, Feingarten and Marley had died and then the picture seemed to disappear until it turned up on a haunted eBay listing in 2000. The ad gained traction and was eventually viewed around 30,000 times and it took on a life of its own. It sold for $1,025 to Kim Smith of Perception Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan and a month later she reported the following. I wish I could report bizarre happening or mind possession type of thing, but the unusual things started happening with the first email, and counting. Prayers and quotes from the scriptures from a man of faith, advice as to how to cleanse my residence of this evil thing from a Native American shaman in Mississippi, reports of people being repulsed, made physically ill, or suffering from a blackout or mind control experiences. And while Smith reported nothing of note happening to her, the internet was awash with people who reported that they had had strange and terrifying experiences while simply looking at the picture. Comment after comment outlined people being frankly petrified of the painting. And even still to this day, when articles are written about the painting, people comment that strange things happen when they look at it. There were comments that stated that their printers had malfunctioned when they had tried to print it. 
Their printers would mangle the paper every time they tried, but printed perfectly normally otherwise. Some commenters claimed that they felt sick when they looked at the picture, or that they felt dizzy and faint, or felt a huge sense of panic or unease when they saw it. Some claimed that their children had very drastic responses when they saw the picture. They would cry and scream, and some would physically run out of the room as soon as they saw it. Some reported that they felt a hot blast of air when they looked at the picture, and some reported missing time, hearing disembodied voices and feeling the hands trying to grab them. It caused quite a stir, to say the least. But Stoneham remains bemused by the attention that the picture has received. So what happened here? Was it a case of a couple who wished to make an easy book, so they opted for the haunted painting route? Or was it a case of their daughter having some nightmares and they hop-skipped and jumped to the haunted painting explanation? Why then did the picture have such a profound effect on the internet? So much so that despite the painter talking about it regularly and recently, it still gains momentum online as being the most haunted painting in the world. And most importantly of all, are there others? Of course there are others. Haunted paintings remain a source of fascination all over the world and have done throughout history. In the mid-1990s, Laura P. was making a decent living creating paintings that were based on photographs. But there was one picture that she was drawn to that she simply had to recreate. And it wasn't what you might expect. Laura told the story in her own words to liveabout.com. In 1994, James Kidd, a commercial photographer, placed one of his photos on display at a gallery in Tombstone, Arizona, where I was showing some of my oil paintings. The photo was the old stagecoach shop at Tombstone. He first took a photo of the stagecoach shop and an old stagecoach, and then he didn't wind his camera so he could get a double exposure photo with another old wagon in the foreground. When the picture was developed, however, it revealed something unexpected. Standing on a log to the left of the wagon is a figure that the photographer did not see when he took the picture. Upon close inspection, the figure seems to be a headless man. The figure's coat, pants and boots are quite plain and easy to see, but he has no head. The photographer says the photo has been examined by Kodak and other experts to prove that he did not doctor it in any way. I couldn't get over the photo and I asked him if I could do an oil painting of it. I do most of my paintings from photos that I've taken. He said I could. Back home in Sierra Vista, Arizona, I began to work on a 16 by 20 inch oil painting based on the photo. When I was about halfway through completing the painting, I started to get a strange feeling. I began to ask myself, why on earth did I want to paint this picture? And maybe I should never have started it. But I did finish it. And then some very strange, unexplained things began to happen at my home, seemingly centred around the painting. I do not believe in ghosts, but I cannot for the life of me explain how or why these strange things have happened. I cannot attribute every one of these events directly to the painting, but they have all taken place since it has been in my house. 
and are totally unexpected. I took the framed painting with some others for a display in a business location. We hung the ghost painting on the wall behind an office desk. Three days later, people from the office called and asked me to come and pick up the ghost painting. Every morning, they claimed, the painting was crooked. They would straighten it, and the next morning it would be crooked again. Also, appointments were inexplicably messed up and papers went missing. They were actually afraid of it. I took the painting back. In 1995, my husband and I moved into a brand new home in Tennessee. We wondered if the ghostly goings-on would stop. But they didn't. Oddly, the roof on the garage of this new home had a leak when it rained. The roofers came out three times to repair it. And although they worked on it, they said they could not find the cause of the leak. It didn't make any sense. Nothing they did stopped that damn leak. Finally, my husband asked me where the ghost painting was. It was leaning against the wall between the living room and the garage. We moved the painting and the garage roof never leaked again. One evening I was preparing for dinner. We had an island bar and that is where I set the table. I picked up the salt and pepper shakers, which were two little canning jars with handles, and I set them on the bar. I went to the door and called to my husband that dinner was ready. When I got back to the bar, salt was spilt all over it and on the floor. The salt shaker, standing upright, was still where I had set it down. We have no animals or children in the house to blame for the spill. It is completely unexplained. My husband and I were sitting in the garage talking to the little neighbour girl who had come over to visit. On the garage wall were three large dried starfish. They were hanging securely on roofing nails. The garage door was open but there was no wind blowing or air movement. Suddenly the largest starfish came sailing off the wall and landed on the concrete floor. It sailed across the floor about six to seven feet. A heavy gate that would have been hard to remove came off its post for no apparent reason. All the hardware was completely intact. This event really scared me because it could have injured me. We'd been doing some yard work and went into the garage to rest where it was cool. My husband said he would mix us some drinks. He returned with the drinks in thick gold-coloured glasses with ice cubes. We finished our drinks and he said he was going to have another and I said I would too. So we mixed them in the house and brought them out. I had taken one or two sips from my drink when I looked down to see that a large chunk of ice had been broken off the top of the glass. It was perfectly fine the first time I drank from it. Right away I thought my husband had knocked it on something, but he swore that he hadn't. We looked all over the garage floor for the piece of glass but found nothing. We went into the house where my husband fixed the drinks and got down on the floor with flashlights and looked. Nothing. I poured the rest of the drink through a strainer to see if the chunk of glass had fallen in, but there was nothing. The missing piece was too large to swallow without me noticing it, but I still had this sick feeling in my stomach. We never found the missing piece of glass. I've always taken photos of the paintings that I have done. People ask to see photos of my paintings, and most always say they don't want to touch the photo of the ghost painting. The gals at the beauty shop wanted me to bring my pictures in and one woman started bragging that she did not believe in ghosts and that it was silly of them to avoid touching the picture. Just let me see it, she said. She took the photo 
looked at it closely and just laughed. That night, at her house, a clock that had been on her wall for 40 years fell down and broke into a hundred pieces. Our neighbour wanted to show his mother-in-law the photos of my paintings and took them home with him. They left the pictures laying on the table and started playing a three-handed card game in which a dummy hand must be dealt. When they picked up the dummy hand, every card of the dummy hand was in one suit. That scared them to death, he told me. He got up and went outside to move his water sprinkler and to this day he still swears that he could see a white hazy figure of a person come around the corner. He came running back to my house with the pictures and said that he never wanted to touch them again. The last thing the ghost did was knock on our front door. My husband and I both heard it at the same time, but our two German shepherds did not hear the knock. Nobody was at the door. Currently the painting is hanging in our house. A few people have asked to buy the painting, but I'm afraid to sell it. What would an unhappy ghost do in their lives? I still don't actually believe in ghosts. Yet if I had to do it over, I would not have created this painting. There are many more stories of haunted paintings, from Munch's painting of a dying mother, which is said to evoke feelings of dread, that the bedclothes would rustle in the painting and that sometimes the little girl depicted by her dying mother's bedside would leave the painting altogether. There is the painting Man Proposes, God Disposes by Sir Edwin Landseer, which is a very disturbing painting of a doomed Arctic expedition being ripped to pieces by polar bears, which is said to have the ability to drive people mad. And there are so many more. So what is it about paintings? Is it the fact that they are man-made and we don't truly understand the thought process of the person that made them, and therefore we invent a mysterious narrative to go along with it? Or is there really something about the energy within a painting that can unlock a dark, hidden mystery? So like I said, I will of course post the pictures, all of the relevant pictures, on Instagram, on Facebook and on Patreon. And the picture of the hands resist him will be the thumbnail of this episode. But you can always you can always look them up. They're widely available online to see. But let me tell you, the picture of the hands resist him, that is a freaky painting. Like it is freaky. And I kind of wonder if the people who eventually ended up getting their hands on this painting who made it who made the eBay advert. I think there's kind of two ways to look at it. Either they got this painting and weird things happened. And then they thought this painting is haunted, so we need to sell it. Or they got the painting, looked at it and thought, that's a really weird looking painting. Can we make money by selling it as a haunted item? But I don't know if in the year 2000, haunted items were really big business on eBay at the time. Has that always been a thing since eBay started? Because haunted items, you know, in the modern day, presently, especially in the last five, six years... Haunted items have become a huge boom in business on eBay, on Etsy, whether it's haunted porcelain dolls, Dybbuk boxes, haunted jewellery, you name it, it's there to be bought. You name it. So it's possible that this couple or this person, whoever sold the painting, was just actually ahead of the curve. I think what's particularly interesting is that Bill Stoneham openly talks about his creation of The Hands Resist Him. And there was no kind of weirdness behind it, you know. He based it on a picture of himself. 
he very clearly explains that the doll is supposed to be this guide who brings him through into a fantasy world and that's what the hands represent and the door represents so it's not necessarily that there's a big mystery behind it it's not like the anguished man where you have this legend that a man created who was very mentally unwell and you know that's not that's not what Bill Stoneham talks about and there was a very recent podcast that he did in 2020 called I think it's from the podcast called Empty Frame the link is in the description of this episode and in that podcast he talks about it and the fact that no he, he there was no mystery behind him creating it he had a job to do and therefore he created it but do I think this painting has some sort of malevolent energy no I don't really think so to be perfectly honest And I I know that people say Seldis, Vaingarden and Marley, that is the art critic, the curator and the actor who bought the painting, they all died within a year of having the painting, whatever. They're probably completely unrelated to the painting. Again, it's that causation versus correlation thing. You know, there's no other reports of anybody dying because of the painting. And even, even the fact that I just said that sentence is bizarre. So I don't actually think the hands resist him is something that has a negative energy or is haunted I think it's just a really creepy picture that elicits very intense responses in people I was in an art gallery recently where there was a series of three art pieces that were all linked and done by the same artist and I found the art piece so so triggering in a way that I'd never experienced before like negatively triggering I felt I looked at it and I felt I felt sick, I felt panicky, I felt like I needed to run away. And that was because of the subject nature of of the art piece and that obviously triggered a very, very intense response from me because of things that I've experienced. But I did not think that those paintings were haunted and therefore, let's burn them, get rid of them, let's throw them up on eBay and get them sold on to somebody else. And I think in regards to all of the comments that have been made about this particular painting online from lots of different anonymous people. Some of them I think are genuine. I think some people would look at this painting and feel physically sick but that might be because it's triggering something that they don't even realise it's triggering, you know? And I think that it very possibly is very psychosomatic as well that people expect they're going to feel something from looking at this painting then they look at this really disturbing painting and then they start feeling things and then they think oh so it must be true that it's haunted but do I think that this painting is really haunted no I don't however what I will say is that the stagecoach painting is very interesting I did not know that story before researching for this episode And I found Laura P's story on uh, Live About or Live About. I don't know which way, what way you pronounce it. And obviously, as always, the link's in the description. But that 1994 James Kidd photo of that stagecoach in Tombstone, Arizona is weird. It is weird and the painting is weird. You can clearly see the outline of a headless man in that painting. And there's no denying that the things that allegedly happened around that painting, they're weird. I think the salt shaker, the salt cellar one is probably the weirdest one, which people would be like, what? But I think that's the strangest one because it's not like it toppled over and it rolled across the table and therefore it spilled salt everywhere. It was like, it sounded like the way she described, like someone came in, shook out salt onto the table and then put the cellar back. And I think that would even freak me out, to be really honest. But in regards to other people's experiences of the painting, it did sound like there was a lot of priming going on. As in, it sounded like she was saying to people, oh, I have this painting 
and I painted it from a picture and weird things have been happening in my house. You should see it, you know, and then people were going, oh, well, this weird thing happened in my house after I had the painting. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about them. What do you guys think? Do you think that these paintings are actually haunted or do you think it's the power of suggestion? combined with some genuinely very freaky images and if you did feel anything when you looked at these pictures do let me know because I am curious. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are super desperate for more content you can sign up to patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories where for five dollars a month or two dollars a month you get all of the episodes absolutely ad free and for five dollars a month you get an extra spooky episode every single week. If you would like to know anything about real life ghost stories you can check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com Remember the links to everything that you need are always in the description of every single episode and on that note I shall see you next time.